morning. Wasn't that, wasn't that beautiful? I love that. Um, and she reads so much better than I do, so it really works out well. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the, one of the pastors here. And um, today we're starting a new series called Ruth. And um, coincidentally, it's on the book of Ruth. And um, <laughs> this is a four-week series, and I get the privilege um, to, to be up here with you guys for four weeks. Uh, Chris is going gonna to take a break and uh, relax and rest, and he deserves it. Uh, unfortunately, you guys get punished because you're stuck with me for four weeks. Um, but I'm excited about it. I'm really pumped about it. The story of Ruth is uh, one that's really close to my heart. Just in, It's helped me get through a lot of rough time. It's, uh, it's really had a lot of impact on my life, and I just I love, love the, this book. Um, I, it's a, one of the, in my opinion, the greatest story in the Bible. It's a short story. It's four chapters, and we're going to hit, hit most of, if not all of it, um, in, our, in our four weeks together, but this whole week is on this first uh, chapter, and um, each week I want us to talk about how we can see God's hand in our lives in the situations where we normally would miss it, and um, today we're going to talk about God's hand in our suffering, and uh, what that looks like, and how even though it feels like at times we're never going to get on solid ground, God's still there, and God's still in control, and He can still uh, do what only God can do. So I want to, we're just going to kind of walk through the story, and it's going to be a little bit different in the fact that we're going to, um, if you have never been here before, you, you're not going to know any different, so don't worry about it. But for us, those of you who are here every week, um, I'm just going to kind of read through some of this and just talk to you from my heart about what God's shared with me about this in real life and um, some of the things that um, I've kind of learned about this book. And the thing that you'll have to realize and bear with me is that this book leaves a lot of questions unanswered. Um, it just kind of leaves some gaps, and I'm sure it's intentional so that people like me can make up what they think. And um, no, I'm just kidding. But you are left to infer some things and to and to uh, make some assumptions that uh, may or may not be right. But obviously, I wouldn't tell you them if I didn't think they were right. Um, so we're going to start right off in that first chapter of, of Ruth, and that we're going to be in like verse two or three. And before we do that, I just want to give you a little bit of background about where we're at, what time period, all that stuff. This book was written in the time of the judges. We have no idea who read it. Or read it. Uh, that's awesome. We can put that on a bumper sticker. Um, we have no, I have no idea who wrote, wrote it. Um, there's some guesses, but they're I don't, probably not right. And so it's a short story, and it involves about three, three main characters. And um, their names are Ruth, coincidentally, I know, blows your mind, Naomi, and um, a guy named Boaz, and he won't, we won't meet him until next week. And the whole um, thrust is that this was in the time of the judges, and so this is a really, really wicked and sinful time. If you're really curious about that time, you can go. There's a book in the Bible. It's actually right before Ruth called Judges, and read up on all that stuff and find out what everybody was getting into, but it was nasty and not good and a lot of, a lot of really bad things, immoralities, adultery, all that fun stuff, right? And so this is just a really bad time. And so we're going to pick up right when it says that there was a famine in the land. And uh, now we don't know this, uh, but we're making an assumption almost every time, if not every time, that famine is mentioned in the Bible. It's in association with punishment. Um, so I'm not saying that's what was happening in Bethlehem. That's just the assumption I'm making, that there was probably some sort of punishment. Bethlehem had become very wicked, very bad. And so um, famine was, had come upon them. And uh, there's a family of four. And that's where we're going to start. And they're Elimelech and uh, Naomi, Malon and Kilion. And um, they decide, Elimelech decides to move his family away and take them to the city of Moab. And uh, this is a bad choice in a lot of different ways. But um, it's kind of funny. Things got tough and Elimelech runs. Um, his name actually means my God is king. Um, and so that's not really what he acted like. And we're left again to infer that he left because things weren't going well. 
Um, it says there was a famine in the land, so he left. I'll let you do the math. Um, it does not say that he was called there to go and minister to the people in Moab and all that stuff. And Moab is not a place you want to go. Okay, it's not a cool place to go and hang out and raise your kids. It uh, comes from the Moabites come from a guy named. This is going to blow your mind. Moab, and um, he uh, was a he's a product of incest. So there's a guy named Lot back in Leviticus, and he had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, and this produced a guy named Moab, and he starts this whole race of people, and they worship a god named Chemosh. I'm throwing a lot of information at you. It'll get better in a minute. Got to set it up, though, or you'll look at me like I'm dumb in about 10 minutes. Um, they worship this god named Chemosh. They don't believe in God. They don't. It's not something they practice. As far as we know, there was nobody in that town that uh, believed in, in our God with the exception of these people. So a famine comes to Bethlehem, and they go to this wicked city of Moab trying to find food and shelter. And so Elimelech, a guy who, whose name means my God is king, decides to run, um, is what we're left to, uh, to guess. And then his wife, Naomi, her name means sweet, sweetie pie, sugar. Doesn't mean sugar. I'm making that up. Um, and, uh, and then he, they have two sons, and this has got nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but just for future reference, um, I'm all about biblical names, but please don't name your children Malon and Kilion, which mean sick and dying. Um, you wouldn't name them swine flu and malaria, so don't name them Malon and Kilion, all right? Um, and so we're going to pick up right where they, they're in Bethlehem, and they're there for a while, and then um, uh, Elimelech dies. And that's the husband, he's dead, so he takes his family, he runs from God, and then he ends up dying in Moab. Um, in the story, it actually says, in some versions it'll say live, but a lot of versions it'll say this family sojourned, which means they were going to go temporarily live. They were going to go and try to put a, a Band-Aid on the situation. And they ended up uh, staying for a long time, because Elimelech, Elimelech dies. Ten years later or so, the, his, his boys, sick and dying, have... Uh, um, it's easier for me to say that than Melon and Kilion, actually. They've, um, they've gotten married to a couple ladies, Orpah and Ruth. And, um, they, but then they die, and they pass away. So Naomi has had a rough go, and um, she has really learned a little bit about suffering, I think. She's lost her husband and uh, both of her sons. And in, in this time, in this time frame, that's a really, really big deal. Because all of, for a woman, all of who you are is wrapped up in um, your husband and your sons and what your kids are going to be able to do for you after your husband dies. It's not, this is not one of, one of those times where it was socially acceptable like it is now for women to go out and earn money and work and better themselves. She was really in trouble. And so she is in the middle of immense suffering. I, I cannot imagine losing my spouse and my children. That would just be out of control. And um, I just couldn't imagine how to process through that. And so I just want to follow through um, and talk about some of the things she does over in this, in this first chapter that speak to me in just tremendous ways about her, who she is, her faith, and, what, and how real God really is in her life. So we're going to pick up right in verse 6. And um, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Um, so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Now, there's a, big, uh, there's a big difference here between what Elimelech does when he's having a rough time and what Naomi does when she's having a rough time, right? Um, Elimelech leaves, he runs, he just goes to a town just somewhere where he can get food, and Naomi is having a rough time, and so she hears where God's presence is and hears where God is, and so she runs towards God, and she takes 
her daughters and daughter-in-laws, and I don't know what the right way to say that is, the two daughters that were married to her husband. And so she takes them and goes. Now, I mean, she's suffered all this. She's lost her husband. She's, she's lost her sons, and now she's got to hang out with her daughter-in-laws. Um, and if those, go, if those relationships are anything like typical mother-daughter-in-law relationships, she's really miserable, and so are the daughters. Um, it's, uh, some of you guys got mother-in-laws here now, and you're looking at me like, dude, shut up. Um, <laughs> so that she's, she's really just working through, and, and she says, you know what, all right, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to Moab. We're going to go back to where God is. We're going to go back home and be with God's people and the people that I know and the people that can be with me and love on me. And we've all been there right? We've all been in places where things just get so bad and they're just so tough, we don't ever think we're actually going to climb out and get anywhere. We don't ever think we're actually going to get on the other side of whatever this is. And I know that I have been there time and time again where at the moment, in the moment, it seems like I'm never, ever, ever going to get back onto the side of where I'm feeling like I'm in God's blessing. And we're constantly asking ourselves questions. Why are we suffering? Why are we suffering? Why are we going through this? And Naomi makes a really crucial decision here where she can choose to go away from God or towards God. And there is, there's both kinds of people in this room, I know. There's the Elimelechs that aren't going to wait around for God to do what God does and aren't patient and you're type A and you're going to fix the problem and you don't need God. And that's the, really the big problem with God is he doesn't do what he's told and he doesn't ask for help, right? Um, so you guys know what that's like and there's some of you in here and there's some Naomi's. There's some faith-driven people in here that when times get tough and things are hard, you're going to run towards God and you're going to run to God. And there's some of you that don't know ever how to process through something like that. So when you go through a rough time, we randomly walk up on you and you're in the fetal position crying and rocking back and forth. Everybody's different, okay? Um, Everybody processes through pain and through suffering different, but Naomi made the choice to go towards God, to go to where God was. And when we're going to process through suffering, you have to start there. You're going to process through hardship and going through a rough time and going through things you don't understand. You have got to start with going towards God because it's not going to get easier because you want it to. It's not going to turn around just because you think it should. It'll, do God, it'll run its course like God wants it to, and then you'll be on the flip side. But you have to start with going towards God, going to where he is. Because there's a chance that he's stirring you to move him, to move you towards him. You've gotten away, you've fallen away, you've fallen behind. It's not punishment, you're just going through something. And God wants to use that event to bring you towards him. So you have to start right there. You have to do what Naomi did. You have to choose to go towards God. All right, and we're going we're gonna to keep going, and we're about to see where Naomi and, um, and Ruth stop to have a conversation. And they're on their way to um, Bethlehem, and <laughs> like most women do, they need to stop and, and talk about it some more. Um, because it wasn't talked enough about, so let's stop and talk. There should be more laughter. I know there's some guys in here who are like, right? <laughs> you know? Um, my wife's not that way. She does what I tell her. No, I'm just kidding. That's totally not true. Um, <laughs> they didn't even laugh. People are like, dear Lord. Um, so, but on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. So she's saying, I don't know why you're, go- don't know why you're going with me. Don't know why, but you just go, just go home. 
Just go home. And she goes on the next few verses. I'm not going to read it, but what seems to be like this sarcastic rampage, which I can really appreciate. And if you know me, you know how I can appreciate that because that's what I would do. I would go on this sarcastic rampage. of, And she basically just tells him, I'm not going to have another kid. And even if I did, you're going to have to wait for him to grow up. And then you're going to have to marry. And it's going to be weird. I'm going to feel weird. They're going to feel weird. You're going to be hitting on them when they're like eight. Go home. And, and so, and it's really how it kind of plays out. And in your mind, if you read it a couple of times, you're just like, what is she talking about? And she's just having a moment. She's just, you know, this enough's enough. And I feel like she's just going, you know, please everybody get away from me. <laughs> you know, it's almost like I feel, I hear her saying, everybody that gets near me dies. Please go away. Right? You ever been there? Everything you touch falls apart? I have. I have. I completely will shut down in those moments. I completely go inside of myself and uh, put myself into solitude, retreat. And she goes on this sarcastic rampage, and she's just like, just go away. And this is key right here, because Ruth makes an interesting choice. Orpah kisses her on the cheek and says, all right, I'm done, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, and I'm going to go home, and I appreciate it. And they weep, and they cry, and they hug like uh, women do, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, and, and then she goes back. But, Na- uh, but Ruth does something really interesting. She clings to Naomi. She clings to her. And now the Bible uses that kind of descriptive. It means, I mean, she literally kind of one of those really awkward hugs you've gotten from people where you can't move your arms, you know, and, and just wraps on and is just like, I'm not, not going to leave you. I'm going where you go. And we're going to read these verses in a minute. But she basically just goes to say, I want to go where you're going to go. I want to worship the God that you worship. I want to be where you're at. I want to be with your people, live with you. I'm going to die with you. Now, we don't know this, and so I'm making some, some conjecture here. But I have to believe, I absolutely have to believe that there was more to Ruth's dedication to Naomi than just cuss. Just cuss. She left her own family, her own home, her own mother, her own father to go and she clings to Naomi in this time and says, I'm going with you. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think she saw something in Naomi while Naomi was suffering that really showed her how big God really is. And so she makes a radical statement right there and says, I'm going with you. I want to be where you're at. I want to worship the God that you worship. I know that we cannot understand why we're going through what, I, what we're going through. I know that we cannot wrap our head around why this just keeps happening and everybody around us keeps dying and everything that can happen has happened. And it's just bad and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I can't understand it, but I know that I've seen something in you. You have gotten yourself out of the way and let this God show himself through and I want to be with him. That's not in there. (laughs) But I wonder if that's the case. Because this is what we believe is Ruth's conversion experience. This is where she puts it all down and she says, I'm I'm all in. This is her commitment to God here. And if you miss over it, you'll just read it and you'll just hear it. Some of you have used it, some of these next verses for your vows and your wedding. But she's making more of a statement then we possibly realize because this is the moment where she says, I want to be with you and I want to worship the God that you worship because I think he can radically change my life the way he's changed yours. And I just want to take a quick minute and just say, there is some Naomi's in the room. There's some people in this room that are going through stuff I cannot possibly imagine. You're dealing with more pain and more suffering than one person should probably have to go through. 
and you just don't understand it. And every time you think you're back on your feet and back on solid ground, you fall back down, and it's not getting any better. It just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, and you cannot grip a hold of what's going on. And there's some of you in here that are like that, and here's what I just want to challenge you to do and ask you to do. When you're in that place, just remember that there could be a Ruth in your life waiting to see if God really is as real as you say he is. There could be a Ruth in your life waiting to see if God's as real as you say he is. People will know and find out the most about who you say you believe in when it's hard and when it hurts and when you're suffering and you're going through hardship. There's a Ruth in your life somewhere. There's a person in your life somewhere that you probably don't even realize is watching. If you're in Naomi and you're in this room, know that God has you where he's got you for a reason. And there's bigger stuff at play, and that don't always make you feel better. But you've got to let God do what God does so that if there's a Ruth watching, their life and their course will be radically changed and altered. Let's check out what Ruth says, says to her, because this is powerful. I love these verses. Verse 16. But Ruth, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Right there, that's the conversion right there. She says, she's making a commitment to God right there. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. That's a powerful statement. It really is. She's, she's making her commitment to God right there. Because she probably saw something in Naomi past oh you're just my mom because if that was the case then why would she tell her she's going to go and worship her god and believe in her god a few uh, years ago a couple years ago um i have a dog his name because i'm so holy i named my dog moses just kidding i didn't even name my dog that's not true but his name really is moses um and he's a beautiful dog and this dog is I mean, me, and, me and this dog are tight okay and um, I was going through a rough, rough time, um, just gotten fired from a job, and um, just tough. I won't even tell you that story, because I'll get all, I get mad all over again. Other than that, I'm doing really well with it, though. Um, and so, I, I just, having, it just it was rough, and I was struggling with my wife, and I was struggling with me, and I didn't know what God wanted from me, and where I was supposed to go, and I just, I, you know, it was just one of those things. And, you know, it was, one of, it was one of those things where you really start to understand the term, the straw that broke the camel's back. And um, I had this, this dog, and I love this dog with all my heart, but really he was a friend of mine, moved away. And, and this was, to call him a friend is really understating it. This was a brother. This was somebody that I probably put too much stock in. It just radically impacted my life. And so losing him was tough, and he thought he needed to move because God called him somewhere, whatever that is. And um, I'm just kidding. Um, and so but he leaves me this dog, which is a constant reminder of how much I miss him. So I used to try to talk to Moses like I would him. But, you know, the, the, deal, the thing about dogs are, if there's any guys who are going to understand this, the beautiful thing about dogs is um, they, they don't talk back. Um, you're always right. And even when you yell at them, they love you. Um, I need more humans in my life like that. Um, and so it's just, I love this dog. And, and it was just, it was, it was a rough time. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I, I think, if I remember right, one of my children let the dog out, and we, we didn't let him back in. And we had a little fenced-in yard, but it was really small, and so he, he's a big dog, and uh, the, I didn't, hadn't fixed the gate, and so he gets out of the gate. And I come home, and he's not in the backyard, 
and I go looking for him, and I, I'm just getting madder and madder, and, and this dog had sat up with me and listened to me talk, you know, for hours late at night, because I couldn't sleep, I just, it was awful, and, um, you know, I think Jennifer would come out and watch me talk to him, and I'd like pause and wait for him to give me a response, you know, because I think God's big, I think he can do it, um, I mean, we, well, we were close, I mean, this, me and this dog half soulmated, you know, I loved this, I love, still do love this dog. And uh, so I came home, and I'm looking for the dog, and I'm getting madder, and I'm getting mad. And I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at God, right? And so I, and this is not a joke, I said this. I, I stopped what I was doing, and I was like, and I believed it too. God, if you don't bring this dog back to me, I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm not even going to believe in you anymore, right? You laugh. I was serious. I, was, I wasn't even playing either. In my own mind, I was like, no doubt. My four-legged furry friend doesn't come back. I'm walking away from Jesus. Isn't that awesome? But you get to that place where you get so bad, and one thing will make you just, I'm done. I'm done. Moses came back, you know. And I said it. It's so funny how you are when you're mad. You're not even rational. Well, I'm not even rational. because, Like God's going to stop everything he was doing, you know, and be like, oh, oh, you're going you're gonna to stop? Well, let me stop what I'm doing holding the world together, and I'll bring Moses back right to you. You know, how arrogant am I that I would even say that and think that out loud? God, if you don't do what I want, if, you don't, if I don't get the response out of you I want, that's just manipulation. We try to do it with humans, and so we assume God will do the same thing. Well, Moses came back, and so, you know, I think a little part of me was even like, yep, God knows he needs me. <laughs> you know, he don't, want to, he don't want to take a chance on missing out on Ryan. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. And it was so just arrogant and immature and stupid. But I was so frustrated and so done. The people that wounded me the most in my life were the Christians around me. I just wanted to be done. It could have been, you know, dropping something on the floor. I might have been like, if you don't clean it up, God, I'm done. I was just done. I couldn't deal with anything else. And, you know, I love my dog with all my heart. And if something happens, I'm going to probably take a couple days off work. I mean, he's my boy. But it's a dog. And I was ready to walk away, and I wasn't kidding. (laughs) Moses came back. I relaxed. About a week later, I realized the ramifications of the tantrum I threw. And God used that event really to change my perspective and teach me that relationship with God relationship with God doesn't mean you're going to get a change in your status it doesn't mean that your life will immediately take a different uh, circumstance and that everything in will get better and that when you command it God will do whatever you want and that God's your own personal genie in a bottle and whenever you need him you rub on the bottle he'll come out and he'll grant you three wishes that's not God that's he's never promised that anywhere in the Bible a relationship with God doesn't mean that I'm going to get a change in my status or my circumstance but it definitely should lead to a change in my perspective and that's at this gig getting about me God's put a passion in me for students and for kids. And I hope I get to spend the rest of my life acting like an idiot in front of them. But here's 
one of the main reasons why. Because if there's anything that keeps me up at night, if there's anything that will stress me out and cause me to just have a mental meltdown, it's the thought that churches, not one church, but churches in general, are just pushing out this watered-down view of God and who He is, and He'll do what you want, when you want, whenever you want it, and you just ask, and He'll give it. I promise that's the case. He loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Let's get baptized. Bam. And every time we do that, every time we produce another one of the people that just don't understand that that's not necessarily how it's going to work and that because you decide that you love Jesus does not give you a pass to never deal with suffering and hardship and tough times because we've produced that every time that the Christians end up encountering hardship they've not learned and nobody's told them hey that'll happen and so they walk away not only walking away from the church and their faith but then what are they showing the people around them that they told about this God they love so much and that's not people's fault. That's church's, that's leadership's fault. Because we want to do what's, we want to tell you about this great love of this great God. But we don't want to tell you that, yeah, you, he's great. And he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And he created you to be in relationship with you and to love you and to be with you. But he's not a character playing a part in your story. He's not an extra it's not something you can just say, oh, good, I got God, I'm good, I'm covered. Check that box. You're playing a part of his. And when you engage in relationship with God and who he is and what he has for your life, you're making a commitment to say, I'm not going to understand everything that goes on. I'm not going to be able to make sense of all the tragedy and all the hardship and all the stuff that's going to happen. But I trust that you're God and that you're going to work all this out for your good because I am honored and blessed to get to be a part of your story. God's not just some little part of your story. He allows you to be a huge part of his. Just because you claim to believe in God and you say, I'm going to engage in relationship with him, it doesn't mean that you won't have suffering. It doesn't mean you're going to have a change in status. It should change your perspective on what's at play. Because I think my heart of hearts, that God used Naomi to radically shape and impact Ruth. That God used Naomi and how she reacted in suffering and in hard times to change the life of Ruth. When Ruth says she's going back, when she, not going back, when she says she's going with Naomi, there's more at play there than you can, she has made, she's taken a bigger step of faith than you can possibly imagine. The racial tensions there were high. It would be somewhat equivalent to, you know, being like, hey, in the Holocaust, I'm a Jew, I'm going to go to Germany. I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, it's serious. She's taken a huge step of faith. She had to have seen that in somebody else because her faith ends up changing a lot of people. And so Ruth steps out. Because I believe what she saw in Naomi, and she says, I'm with you. I want to I worship the same God you worship. We're always focused on I, 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 and me, 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 me. Then we'll miss God. And one of the coolest things, I think, that just blows my mind about Jesus and about this whole thing called Christianity is that even when I'm at my worst and I'm having, and I just feel like 
God is, it's just never going to get any better, and that things just aren't ever going to turn around, and that I'm just going to constantly be suffering the rest of my life, that if I get me out of the way and let God do what he does, that there's people around me that he's impacting. There's people around me that he's, that he's impacting through me and through my suffering and through my hardship. That's got to make it worth it. We're the me generation. It's all about me, me, me. Guys, if I look at this, I don't have my Bible, that's my iPad. <laughs> if I look at the Bible, if I look at that book, I can see times when Jesus said, dude, you don't want to follow me. Go back. I can see times when Jesus would tell people they wanted to be his disciples, nah, you're not ready. He actually talked people out of being a disciple because the cost is high. The cost is high. Show up to church, sing your prom songs to Jesus, and go home is not it. The cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ is more than you just letting him be an extra in your life. I mean, I don't mean to be like completely overly harsh about it, but it's not about you. And if you don't get your perspective changed on that, you are forever going to be mad and bitter and angry and constantly walking and going away from God and what he has for your life. The cost of being a follower is high. It's not just this, hey, I love you, do what you want. It's a relationship that you engage in. And when you engage in relationship, Jesus will take you and lead you where he wants you to go. And it will be so much easier to process through your suffering and your pain and your hardship. Because there's some people in here that are having a rough go. I just want to tell you, God's good, and he's going to bring you through. And that it won't always be like this. And that things are going to get better. But as long as you're focused on you, 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 and I, 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 you'll never get a clear perspective to understand what God's trying to do through you and in you. Because there's bigger things at play than just you. He didn't create you to revolve the world around you. I know that's tough. I would prefer that he had. Some confusion, there's usually always a little bit of confusion on if we go through suffering, we have to put on a smile, right? How many of you have ever met those people that no matter what, they're just smiling? I had a principal that way. She kicked me out of school smiling, no joke. And it wasn't because she was happy, all you hateful people out there, of that she was getting rid of me. It's just the way she was. You never knew how she really felt about anything. I saw her get mad one time. I almost peed my pants because I thought I never didn't know she could. And that's how we think we're supposed to deal with it. That's our, we equate being a Christian and, and dealing well with suffering and suffering well with, I'm happy. And really, you know, I walk up to you, how, how's there, how you doing today? Good, good. In your mind, you're thinking, I want to burn the building down. You have any matches, little gas? We could do it quick. Get the people out. You're, you're, you're just angry. You're mad. But you won't ever say it. And I want to really show you something as we close, as we kind of close out today about what Naomi did that I find to be just awesome because Naomi was sarcastic and brutally honest. And I love it. <laughs> uh, I relate to Naomi a lot. 
she says, uh, she goes back, and they're back in, in Bethlehem, and uh, her friends see her, and they're all knowing her. You know, they're all knowing her. They're all knowing, they all, I cannot talk. They all know who she is, and uh, the bloggers and Twitters are going crazy, right? She's in town. Just kidding, because there wasn't computers. Anyway, um, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. That's, the Naomi means, remember, it means sweetheart, precious, pumpkin, right? Um, Mara does not mean that. It means bitter. Bitter old hag. Doesn't mean that, but I like to think it does. Bitter and just, and, and old. Name you would give to somebody that was older and bitter. And <laughs> she just takes a step out of faith. And, you know, she sees some of her old friends, some people she hadn't seen in a while. She's just like, you know what? Uh, don't call me that because I'm not sweet and I'm not happy. And if you come near me, I'm going to hit you. My, just call me Mara, okay? Because I'm angry and I'm bitter and God is, an, it's enough already. I'm just saying and, you know, here's, that's who I am. I believe in God, but, and I love him, and, and, but call me Mara, because I'm bitter, and I'm mad, and um, I, need to, I need to throw, and I don't even know why I'm here, honestly, because I don't want to be. And I think she just really takes a step, and most of us wouldn't have done that. We'd be like, we're good, everything's fine. But she just understands a really important principle, and that's that God's put people around you, and this is why we push community groups so hard at one church. That's why every time somebody's on stage, it usually gets mentioned, because we want you to understand that in community is the place where you can go, in community groups, the place you can go and say, I'm having a rough time. I'm struggling. It's funny, too, because there's people here in my community group that are making fun of me in their head right now, because they know how much they've had to drag bad, you know, information of things I've been going through out of me, because I didn't want to talk about it, I didn't want to share it, because I'm too prideful. But God puts people around you and puts, in relationship, puts you in a relationship with people that can give you fresh perspective. Because what I want you to understand, and this is huge, Naomi was angry and she was bitter and she was hurt and she didn't understand why she was going through what she was going through. She couldn't wrap her head around it. And she still chose God anyway. She knew what her feelings were. She knew how she felt. And, but then she chose to go towards God anyway. She didn't let her feelings dictate what she was doing. She remembered and she fell back on the promise that God was always good. If you are always allowing your feelings to dictate what you do, you'll never get any further than where you are. You have to have people in your life that will give you fresh perspective, that will per, that frame what you're going through and put it into the right kind of light. Because in the moment, of course it seems awful. But there are bigger things at play than you and your feelings and what you need. And, and if you've got people in your life that love you enough to just tell you, listen, I don't want to downplay the suffering that people are going through. I don't. That's the last thing I want you to hear me say. There are some of you guys that can come up here and tell me stories. It would blow my mind. I would never be able to understand how you've made it through what you've made it through. I'm not saying that you should just put on a smile and be happy. I'm saying you should do what Naomi did and say, I'm bitter and I'm angry. Look at the people around you and the Christians that God's put in your life and the followers that God's put in your life and just say, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know how much I got left in the tank. I cannot possibly understand why God continually is doing this, but I'm running on E and I'm almost done. Because it's in those moments, in the honesty, in the realness, that God will send somebody in your life to love you in a way you never thought possible. And you'll be able to show that person that even though 
your feelings are telling you you should run away from God and get away from God and stop this whole gig, that you know that God is good and that you know he is sovereign. I want to leave you with that thought. God is sovereign and God is good. Sovereign means in control. Everything passes through or he puts into motion. Everything. Anytime you hear Lord in the Bible, that's what it's saying, sovereign. And God is in control, and he knows what's going on, and he's putting them things into play, or he's allowing them to happen, and he is good. But don't mistake his goodness for what you consider good. Romans 8.28 says that God will work all things out in our life for his good for those that will love him and those that will serve him. God will take all the junk in your life, all the mess in your life, and he will somehow work it out to your good and to the good of everybody and to the good of the universe. I think I've used this analogy in here before, but the Christianity is like a really beautiful oriental rug. One of the real ones, not one of the ones you get at Walmart. And if you ever flip one of those over, there's all these strings and stuff just hanging down. It's just, it's really not attractive. And you can't tell what's going on, right? But on top, it's this beautiful picture. And the problem and the issue that some of us are going to have is that we can only see the bottom of the rug. And so sometimes it looks like a mess and we can't understand what's going where and why it's going there. But God's on top painting a beautiful picture and making a beautiful thing out of your life and of the lives of the people around you. But you have to get out of the way and you have to be like Naomi and you have to choose to go towards God so that you can impact a Ruth that is watching you. Because as much as I want to tell you that being a Christian and a follower of Jesus will equal getting a pass on life on the hard things, it, don't, it won't happen. It won't happen. Relationship with God is not a change in status, but it should definitely be a change in perspective. And just know that God is using you for things you cannot possibly understand. God was using Naomi for things she possibly she could not possibly understand. This book is incredible. I love this book. By the end of it, every prayer is going to be answered. And all of this stuff is going to come back around. And they're going to be in the amazing situation because Naomi chose God. Because we have to start there. Naomi chose God. You've got to come back. The story gets so much better. It's not all about people just dying and dying. God's going to do something huge. And for the Naomi's in here, the ones that are struggling and having a rough time, you need to hear that clear than anything. And by the end of this book, it turns itself completely around. And because Naomi chose God, and Naomi went towards God, and Naomi chose that even though her feelings told her to do something different, that she should walk towards God radically changes her life and radically changes Ruth's life and uses her to do some awesome things. And there's some people in here right now that need to hear that God will use you to do some amazing things. And even though it doesn't feel like it right now, even though you don't know how you're going to get through, God's going to bring this to pass if you'll choose him and go towards him. And he's going to use you to accomplish things you cannot possibly even imagine. He's going to use you to affect people you cannot possibly even imagine. If you'll just choose God and get yourself out of the way and allow him to do what he does because he's on top and he is the artist and he's painting this whole deal and he's making it all work together for everybody's good. And one day we're going to get off this world and we're going to get off this planet and we're going to be standing in full glory with him and everything's going to be perfect and he's going to be beautiful and it's going to be awesome. But until then, it'll get tough. and It'll be hard. My Naomi's, there's a Ruth in your life. If you're a Christian, you're going through that, I promise you, it'll get better. 
God's good. God's good. Even when his goodness is so much further from what I could possibly understand. If you're a non-Christian, what I want to say to you is I have not always been a Christian and have not always believed in God. And I've made poor choices and bad choices and done things I could not possibly do. And there's two things I would share with you. One is that believing in God does not erase the consequences for poor decisions and poor choices. They still are there. You will still probably have them. But it definitely changes your perspective on knowing that you have a father that loves you. If you're a non-Christian in this room and don't believe in God, I just want to encourage you and tell you, no, it won't always be, it all, won't always be great. And it's not walking through happy times all the time. And everybody's, everything's not all smiley and happy. But God is absolutely 100% worth it. And if I had it to do all over again, I would choose the loving arms of my Father. I would choose the loving to be loved and cherished by the God that created me and created everything. I would choose it all over again. God is worth it. Every bit of it. And it's hard and it's tough sometimes and I can't possibly understand what he's doing. But God is worth it. So no, it won't always just be better. But it will be better because you know no matter what you're going through, you've got a God that loves you and you can run to. You'd say you're a Christian, you know, you haven't been in church in a while. You can, do, you can do one of two things. You can do what Naomi did and you can go towards God. Or you can do what Orpah did and you can walk away. Choose what Naomi did and go towards God. God's bringing this all together somehow. He's the master. He's painting his masterpiece. Let him use you. Relationship with God, it won't equal the change in status. It should bring a change in perspective. Let's pray. Father, I know there's some hearts in this room that are struggling there's some people in this room that are having a rough time and father i just ask right now that you let them know there's bigger things at play and father just give them the courage and the boldness to stand still and to let you shine through even though it doesn't feel good and to let them realize there's some roots in their life that are watching father i know what it's like when everything falls apart. I can remember the moments clearly when I thought nothing was ever going to get put back together. And God, you're so good. You bring it back for your good. When everything falls apart, we can still lean into you. And we can still draw closer to you. And you still look at us as your children. Let us just to run towards you. And when suffering comes and hard time comes, Father, let us to start right where Naomi did and choose you. Because you're worth it. And I thank you that you're worth it. Thank you for the way you love me. Father, I thank you the way you love each and every person in here. Father, choose you and have faith. When everything falls apart, 